0: another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Reel. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com That's mormondiscussion, all one word, p dot .com You can also find us on Facebook, under Under the name Mormon Discussion. All one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. Grateful to have you on for today's episode. This has been one that I've been thinking about doing for a long time. And in listening to conference the other day, the April 2014 General Conference and listening to Elder Bednar's talk made this subject one that I felt just had to be covered now. And so I hope that uh, you will find this discussion as interesting as I have. Today I want to talk about the the proposed dates for the birth of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I don't want to get into the whole historical discussion, but I, I simply want to talk about one date in particular that we in the church sometimes attribute to the Savior's birth, and that would be April 6th of 1 B.C., and, uh, this is kind of a complicated matter. And I hope as we get through this podcast episode, you'll, you'll grasp and understand why this, this issue is as tricky as it is. So essentially we need to recognize that throughout the history of the church in this dispensation, multitude, and when I say multitude, I'm, I'm probably saying, uh, eight to 12 different leaders have hinted at or directly stated that the birth of Jesus Christ is known to have occurred on April 6th. And so now I want to talk about essentially how we got there, why we think that, and if that paradigm or framework holds up to the historical narrative. And I'm not doing this episode to throw prophets, seers, and revelators under the bus. As we will see, this was an easy enough mistake to make. This was a very, this would have been the logical move to make based on the understanding of those who have who have looked at this issue from from a surface level. So I want to begin pulling from an article uh, titled Dating the Birth of Jesus Christ written by an LDS member, uh, Jeffrey R. Chadwick. In the opening paragraph of his paper, he says he says this. He says, in his 1915 classic entitled Jesus the Christ, Elder James E. Talmadge maintained that Jesus Christ was born on April 6th in the year 1 B.C. He then goes on to say Talmadge was apparently the first LDS writer to propose this particular date. Nearly a century has passed since his book appeared, and in that time it has become quite practically axiomatic among Latter-day Saints that Jesus was born on April 6th of 1 B.C., but was he? And so that's the question we want to kind of start off with. And so to kind of play off that, Elder James E. Talmadge takes the view that he was born on April 6, 1 BC, basing his conclusion on Doctrine and Covenants section 20, verse 1, which speaks of the day on which the church was organized, saying it was 1,830 years since the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh. April 6th then, and that's the unquote from D&C 1, April 6th is then named as the specific day for the formal organization of the church. Elder Talmadge notes that the Book of Mormon chronology, which says that the Lord Jesus would be born 600 years after Lehi left Jerusalem. And so Talmadge uses the Book of Mormon chronology, and the first verse in section 20 to make the conclusion that Jesus was born on April 6th, and again, he's not the only one to have done that. So, I'd like to uh, go to an audio clip of Elder Harold B. Lee, uh, also stating this uh, this same idea.
1: This is the annual conference of the Church. April 6, 1973, is a particularly significant date because it commemorates not only the anniversary of the organization of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in this dispensation, but also the anniversary of the birth of the Savior, our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith wrote this preceding a revelation given at that same day. The rise of the Church of Christ in these last days being 1,830 years since the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the flesh it being regularly organized and established, agreeable to the laws of our country, by the will and commandments of God, in the fourth month and on the sixth day of the month, which is called April, end of the quotation. Traditionally since that time, the early conferences of the Church are held on the days of each year, which include
0: April 6th. So there you can see from President Harold B. Lee, his also stating that, that we know that April 6th is the birth of the, the Savior Jesus Christ. But but it's important to note that he's getting that information. He's drawing that conclusion from Elder Talmadge's appraisal of section 20, verse 1. And President Lee even quotes section 20, verse 1 to make that point. So I also want to make you aware too, I mean, he's not the only one who does this. Lots of leaders have said it. Um, Some of them have just hinted at the idea. But for instance, uh, President Hinckley, while he did not specifically mention the date of April 6th uh, in an address he gave, the implication is pretty apparent from where he says, "While while we now know through revelation the time of the Savior's birth, we observe the 25th of December with the rest of the Christian world. And so I think President Hinckley marks the last time a church leader, a, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve or the First Presidency, made the, the comment about the birth of, uh, of Jesus Christ, until the other day when Elder Bednar did so. Now, I also want to draw a comment and maybe just kind of solve uh, an issue, too, that that pertains to some of these sources. One of the other sources that is used often to defend April 6th as the birth of Jesus Christ comes from Elder Spencer W. Kimball. In the Enzyme, May 1980 uh, edition of the Enzyme, President Kimball is quoted from an address he gave, Remarks and Dedication of Fayette New York Buildings. And this is on, I think, page 54 of that, uh, of that edition. The problem is there's a misprint. Listen to the quote in the article. This is the printed quote. My brothers and sisters, today we not only celebrate the sesquicentennial of the organization of the church, but also the greatest event in human history since the birth of Christ on this day, 1,980 years ago. Today is Easter Sunday. Now I want you to listen to what President Kimball actually said.
1: My brothers and sisters, today we not only celebrate the centennial of the organization of the church, but also the greatest event in human history since the birth of Christ on this earth. 1,980 years ago. Today is Easter Sunday.
0: So you can see from the actual audio of President Kimball's quote, which can be found on LDS.org if you look up that address and you download the audio from there. You'll get the, the audio directly from the church site. He doesn't say that the Savior was born on this day. He says that this celebration that they're doing is 1980 years after the birth of Jesus Christ on the earth, not on this day. And while I think it is still, while I think it is still fair for some to look at the quote as it really was said and draw that same conclusion, I don't think it's as clear cut as the way it was printed in the printed edition of the talk. And I think that's important because this is one of the main quotes used to defend the fact that now that it's in the mouth of two or three witnesses, therefore, you know, it's an established doctrine and Jesus was born on April 6th. I think one has to essentially remove this quote, uh, from that idea. I also now want to go to the quote from Elder Bednar, uh, in this recent conference talk. And then we can talk about why we draw this conclusion from section 20 and if that's fair. Here's Elder Bednar.
2: Today is April the 6th. We know by revelation that today is the actual and accurate date of the Savior's birth. April the 6th is also the day on which the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was organized.
0: And, and so there you see Elder Bednar uh, also uh, stating that we know by revelation uh, that that Jesus was born on April 6th. And I and I probably should state here because I'm I try to be a fan of offering alternatives and not not also being dogmatic. And I sometimes find myself falling to, into that It is possible that there is a revelation, independent of section 20, verse 1, that indicates that Jesus was born on April 6th. The trouble I find in that is that that revelation is not public. Nobody knows about it. And So I'm making the assumption, which could be true or could not, but I'm making the assumption that when he says we know this by revelation he is also pointing back to D&C section 20 verse 1 and not some other revelation that church leaders have received that they have not shared with the church at large. So I certainly leave room for for the church to come out and say hey we have this revelation that the brethren received on such and such a date that marks the birth of Christ as being on April 6th. I'm open to that. But but I I feel like and it seems logical and it seems like taking all the information into account, all of the leaders who are stating such are pointing back to Doctrine and Covenants section 20 verse 1. And so that that is an important distinction uh, to make. I also want to share some other opinions though that exist, so that you can see that not everybody in the church was along these lines of thinking. Elder Hiram M. M. Smith of the Council of the Twelve wrote in the Doctrine and Covenants Commentary. He says, The organization of the Church in the year 1830 is hardly to be regarded as giving divine authority to the commonly accepted calendar. There are reasons for believing that those who, a long time after our Savior's birth, tried to ascertain the correct time, erred in their calculations, and that the Nativity occurred four years before our era, or in the year of Rome, 750. All of that, all that this revelation means to say is that the church was organized in the year commonly accepted as 1830 AD. Rome 750 is equivalent, as indicated, to 4 BC. Another one, President J. Reuben Clark, in in Our Lord of the Gospels, A Scholarly and Thoughtful Work, he says this in his preface. He says that many scholars fix the date of the Savior's birth at the end of 5 BC, or beginning or early part of 4 B.C. He then quotes the explanation of Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, verse 1, as found in the commentary notes that it has been omitted in a later edition and says, I am not proposing any date as the true date, but in order to be helpful to students as I could, I have taken as the date of the Savior's birth the date now accepted by many scholars, late 5 B.C. or early 4 B.C. Because Bible commentaries and the writings of scholars are frequently keyed upon that chronology, and because I believe that to do so will facilitate and make easier the work of those studying the life and works of the Savior from sources using this accepted chronology, this is the course being followed in this present work. And he's speaking of a work being done by Elder Bruce R. McConkie in in the part where this quote is found. So the question becomes, what does scholars say about this? What does scholars say about Doctrine and Covenants, Section 20, Verse 1? And why did it seem apparent that some church leaders were very well aware of D&C 20, Verse 1, but took a different way at viewing this issue? Stephen C. Harper, he uh, was formerly a BYU assistant professor of church history, is now a member of the Church History Department, and he's a volume editor of the Joseph Smith Papers. He said on an article in the Deseret News, and he said this by phone, uh, that some people, including Elder Talmadge, have read the verse, speaking of section 20, verse 1, as if it is the Lord speaking in revealing precisely that Christ was born 1,830 years before that day, and that the revelation was given on April sixth, 1830. The recent discovery of the Book of Commandments in Revelation manuscripts of D&C 20, however, showed that the verse was actually an introductory headnote written by early church historian and scribe John Whitmer, something he did for many of the revelations, Harper said. So those are separate from the text that Joseph Smith produces by Revelation. The manuscript published as part of the Joseph Smith papers also shows that the Revelation was given on April 10th, not April 6th. So although it references the organization of the church a few days earlier, the revelation which topically has nothing to do with the birth date of Christ and its introductory verse shouldn't be read as if it is a revelation of the birth date of Jesus Christ, Harper said. The interpretation that has been most popular over time is very much subject to question. That's all I'm saying, unquote. So, a couple things to note here. Number one, the revelation that is section 20 was received on April 10th. Number two, John Whitmer writes in verse 1 separate from the revelation that Joseph Smith received. He's simply doing so to mark the date. He's simply doing that to acknowledge the date that the church was organized. To draw the conclusion then, that this is official revelation, and meaning that Jesus was born on April 6th, is is a leap and a stretch that the historical context does not allow. That said, this was an easy mistake to make. It's a very easy error to have, have happen. One, you have precedent of others drawing that same conclusion, and, and doing so and saying so in official capacity, and that even turns out more official and it makes itself into the publications of the church where it's quoted incorrectly in the case of President Kimball. You also have D&C section 20 verse 1, which to one who was not there when it was put together and recorded and the revelation was received, would not be aware that verse 1 is not part of the literal revelation that Joseph received for that section. One would also be unaware, until they look at the historical context, that this revelation was received four days later, than when the date that's printed for that section. Now, I want to go back to Jeffrey Chadwick, in his article, Dating the Birth of Jesus Christ. He says, it appears that whenever Latter-day Saints connect the date of Jesus' birth with April 6th, they have D&C 20 verse 1 in mind. This verse is the opening preface that dates the Church's Articles and Covenants, which were evidently transcribed on April tenth, 1830, after the church was organized as a religious association, which is different from a religious corporation, under New York law on April sixth, 1830. This comes from the facsimile edition, first volume of the Revelations and Translations series of the Joseph Smith Papers. Brother Chadwick then continues, he says, without detracting from the overall revelatory importance of D&C Section 20 as a whole, It appears that this verse, which is part of the initial heading of the section, is not part of the revelation proper. If the Lord were speaking in 20 verse 1, one would wonder why he would speak of the coming of our Lord in the laws of our country, as this verse reads. Likewise, it would seem significant that what is now D&C 21 verse 3 originally read, which church was organized and established in the year of our Lord 1830, in the fourth month, and on the sixth day of the month, which is called April, as it reads in the 1831 manuscript. That can be found in Manuscript Revelations book, page 27 and page 28 of the Book of Commandments and Revelations, and then also in the 1833 Book of Commandments. He then says this phrase, Year of Our Lord, was changed to read Year of Your Lord when these words appeared as part of section 46 in the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants, apparently to make the grammar of this verse blend with the preceding and following verses. For this reason, many people have thought, and probably correctly so, that these words are simply a way of stating the date, On which the church was organized. Indeed, in the historical record, the Lord commanded John Whitmer to keep D&C section 47 verse 1. Whitmer used the exact language employed in D&C section 20 verse 1, but in reference to a different date. It is now June the 12th, 1831 years since the coming of our Lord and Savior in the flesh. And that's, that's a huge point to make. So I'm going to stop there for just a second. Do we realize that this entry in section 20 verse 1 by John Whitmer is also used by him in other sections that, uh, that are nowhere near April 6th? So to draw the conclusion that section 20 verse 1 implies that Jesus was for certain born on April 6th would be a jump and a leap beyond what the actual historical context of that document says. Now again, he may be born on April 6th, and there may even be revelation that indicates that, but that revelation is not public, and it seems like all of leaders who are speaking this idea are not speaking independent of section 20 verse 1. Brother Chadwick continues, he says, Dating the birth of Jesus Christ, it is interesting that John Whitmer was also the scribe who recorded the Church Articles and Covenants, D&C Section 20, in the Book of Commandments and Revelation, and composed the head notes to the Revelation. Stephen Harper, one of the Joseph Smith Papers editors who prepared the Book of Commandments and Revelations for publication, made this observation. He says quote another significant chronological contribution of the Book of Commandments and Revelation is Whitmer's preface to the text he titled Church Articles and Covenants Doctrine and Covenants Section twenty, which he dated april tenth, eighteen thirty, forty days after the church's organization on april sixth. In my judgment, the fact that this text was written after, not on or before april sixth, strengthens the argument that its introduction is not necessarily revealing, as some have argued, the day and year of Christ's birth, unquote. And that comes from Stephen Harper, historical headnotes in the Index of Contents in the Book of Commandments. Brother Chadwick continues, he says, one may certainly argue that the main, if not exclusive purpose of this dating information in D&C 20 verse 1 and 21 verse 3 is to give the date of the organization of the church, a date directed by God as a monumentally important date in its own right, identified on the calendar used by people in that day and age. D&C Section 20, verse 1, speaks of the rise of the Church of Christ in these last days, being 1,830 years since the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, it being regularly organized and established, agreeable to the laws of our country, by the will and commandment of God, in the fourth month and on the sixth day of the month, which is called April, Brother Chadwick then says, The points here seem to emphasize the fact that the church was rising again in these last days, that these are the last days, even 1830 years since the coming of the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ in the flesh, and then that the church was legally organized by commandment of God on April 6th, as Joseph wrote several years later in the History of the Church, Volume 164. It was, quote, by the spirit of prophecy and revelation that the precise day upon which we should proceed to organize his church once more here upon the earth, unquote, was given. And this is Brother Chadwick again continuing. Two points seem clear in this regard. First, D&C 20, verse 1, does not directly connect the specific date of April 6th with the coming of Christ, for that date appears in the second half of the verse and modifies it, meaning the legal organization of the church. And second, Joseph's statement in the history of the church makes no mention of the coming or birth of Christ. And then he, he proceeds to thank John W. Welch for providing historical context of DNC 20, reproduced in this note, and Roger Terry for making me aware of the quotation from the book of John Whitmer. So April 6th was significant. It was the day the Lord revealed by revelation that the church should be organized. But Joseph and other church leaders of that day don't make any kind of connection to the Savior's birth. Elder Talmadge is the first person to do so. And it seems that that happens because as time goes on, there's a loss of understanding of how that section was put together and what those words were to mean and knowing that John Whitmer is the one who adds that first part in. I want to start to wrap up. There was an article in the Deseret News. Again, all of these things I'm speaking of will be linked to this episode at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. But in the Deseret News article, it says this, and this wasn't the only time that John Whitmer would identify a date with similar language. Another time he wrote, it is now June the 12th, 1,831 years since the coming of our Lord and Savior in the flesh. In other words, this type of language was merely a fancy 19th century way of saying the date. So there you have a kind of a second witness pointing to that idea. So the question is, is there a, is there a better perspective? And I hope that just by covering this material, you can see this. We, we may not know the birth of the savior the day he was born on. And it's an inconsequential fact that really isn't necessary to even know. Lots of scholars point to five BC and actually brother Chadwick at the end of his article and also in this Deseret news article makes the argument that it was in December of five BC. When the Savior was born. And so going, if we can throw out the idea that God has revealed it to the church. And then what that means is all we're left with is the scholarly historical context of the Savior's birth. And so best indications are then, going off of scholarly work, that the Savior was born in December in 5 BC. And so perhaps December 25th really is his birthday. May I conclude with a quote from Elder Bruce R. McConkie. He says, We do not believe it is possible, with the present state of our knowledge, including that which is known both in and out of the church, to state with finality when and in which year the natal day of the Lord Jesus actually occurred. And then Elder McConkie, in a footnote, makes this observation. He says, what is the date of our Lord's birth? This is one of those fascinating problems about which the wise and the learned delight to debate. There are scholars of repute and renown who place his natal day in every year from 1 B.C. to 7 B.C., with 4 B.C. being the prevailing view. If we may be permitted to conclude that there is a prevailing view, how much the answer really matters is itself a fair question since the problem is one, in part at least, of determining whether there have been errors made in the creation of our present dating system. The real answer may never be known, and unfortunately within the gospel, we all have things that we believe that we hold to be true, that sometimes don't hold up. In fact, I would argue, and I've repeated this on this podcast, that uh, the editor of the Salt Lake Tribune, Robert Kirby, one of them, editorial uh, guys, made the comment to a auditorium full of Latter-day Saints. He looked across the room and he said, every one of you believes something right now, this moment, that you believe to be true that is not. And I would simply emphasize that. We each hold on to false assumptions. And these false assumptions, when you have way too many of them, and all of a sudden you come into contact with, with historical information, with more realistic paradigms that simply do not fit those assumptions you've made, it leaves room for doubt to creep in and for one to struggle. So may we take this idea of the birth of Christ on April 6th and may we recognize as we apply it to other issues that each of us need to be careful of making false assumptions, of believing things so strictly and rigidly that when new information comes, we would prefer to push that truth away rather than change our framework, rather than change our assumptions. May the Lord bless you. May he warm your shoulder, is my prayer, in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen.